Life Without Her by Joseph N. Bell. The poignant story of a man who came face to face with some shattering truths. I was at home alone at midday, working at my typewriter, when the phone rang. A man's voice said, Your name Bell? Yes, I said. My stomach began to constrict. There was something in his tone. This is police headquarters. You'd better get over to the hospital right away. Your wife's been hurt in an accident. Janet had gone out not ten minutes earlier to do some errands. As she left, I'd kissed her absentmindedly, and she had needled me. You don't even know who you're kissing. She was laughing as she went out the door. Ten minutes ago. Foggily, I said, how badly is she hurt? I don't know. The accident was just phoned into headquarters, and I was told to call you. You'd better get over to the hospital. Janet had taken our car, and the hospital is on the other side of town. As I ran out the front door, I heard a siren. It had a detached, other-world sound, as if I were hearing it from a great distance. I ran to the house of our next-door neighbour, a good friend. I've got to have your car, I told her. I must have looked wild-eyed, for she didn't ask the question that showed in her eyes, she just nodded. I backed the car out of the garage and raced away. We live in an area that has one bad intersection. There is no traffic light, and the cars come along the main highway at high speed. As I approached the highway, I saw traffic backed up in a double line. I jumped out and sprinted towards the intersection. Several car lengths away, I saw our station wagon. It stood across the far side of the divided highway, and the door by the driver's seat was wide open. That side of the car, behind the door, was badly smashed. A knot of people had gathered about another car, off the road on the other side. People were everywhere, standing, gawking out of car windows as they went by. There was a large purple splotch on the pavement, near our car, and a pair of shoes, familiar shoes, rested neatly in the middle of the road as though Janet had just stepped out of them. A passerby shouted at me, Hey pal, anybody get killed? I looked at him blankly, then turned and ran with a pounding heart back down the line of cars. I have only nightmarish recollections of driving to the hospital, except that I know I prayed. The traffic was heavy, but I went in and out and round it. It probably took me ten minutes to make the trip, and in those minutes I wavered many times between hope and despair. My thoughts turned to the children. I'd have to go to the high school first and get Dave. Then, together, we'd have to make a new kind of life. A life without their mother? What kind of life would that be? I found myself, against my will, contemplating it. For the first time I saw myself as the completely permissive parent I was, and I realised that Janet was the iron in our family. The wisp of a girl who could wear slacks or cocktail dresses with equal elan, who frequently skipped when she walked down the street. She was the one who made the tough decisions in our family, then made them stick. There was money in the bank for David's university education, because she had seen to it that the money got there and stayed there. Debbie could play the piano because Janet refused to let her stop taking lessons after I'd talked her into letting the two older children give up theirs. Little things ripple through my mind. Moving days, when she had worked for hours along with the moving men, then somehow managed to put together a meal for a family that expected it as a matter of course. There was the evening we were sitting quietly together in the dusk when she had said to me, why don't you quit? I was eating my heart out, 
without anyone knowing, I thought, at a job I didn't like, while yearning to try to make a living at writing. She knew, and she made the decision easy for me, at a time when turning away from a steady income would have been unthinkable to most women. Janet, with only a high school diploma, but far better educated than most university graduates, by dint of her voracious reading and consummate curiosity. Janet, who could examine her own emotional excesses with the sort of rugged self-honesty that brought healing and reform. Janet, who would fight without quarter when she thought that a friend had been badly treated. In the last few blocks to the hospital, I said to myself that our life together could not end. There were too many good years ahead with our children. Too many trips we'd planned and hadn't made. Perhaps I would take that teaching job someday. All these things were part of life, not death. They had to be shared to be meaningful. At the hospital, a woman at the front desk said, You want emergency. Go down that corridor to the far end and turn right. Glass doors led into a broad hallway. The word emergency was painted on the white walls in malevolent red letters. A half dozen doors opened off the hallway. Beyond the second one I could see just the end of an examining table and legs covered with black slacks. Janet had been wearing black slacks when she left the house. I shut my eyes for an instant, took a deep breath, then walked in. Two nurses were bending over her. I walked around them and looked down. Janet's eyes were open and she saw me. A large crimson cloth lay across her forehead and her face and clothing were splotched with blood but she reached out her hand to me and said, I'm all right, darling. Really, I'm all right. Just don't leave me. They were the most wonderful words I'll ever hear. She was all right. After the lacerations and bruises had mended, we became a family once again. We're one of the fortunate families, as we know. But the memory of those awful, indelible moments can be called up instantly by a thought, a word, a gesture, the ring of a telephone the almost was. I can never forget the shattering clarity with which I saw my wife as I drove to the hospital that day. Petty annoyances can become very petty indeed, stacked against a deck like this. The deck was always there. I'd never spread it out and looked at it before, really looked at it. It took a near tragedy to make me realise that I had never let Janet understand how meaningless life would be without her. How grateful I am for a second chance. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Music